As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is our Outfield Preview, part one of our 2023 Outfield Preview. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. The Draft Kit Series is now underway. It's the best time of the year, Eno. I love getting ready for drafts. I feel like I'm always getting ready for drafts, but this series of episodes is sort of like that big push into the biggest drafts that we do just prior to opening day. So I don't think I could be more excited about an episode than I am about this one. Yeah, time to start getting ready. I've got my pitcher ranks already ready for a certain uh, thing that the that uh, that uh, will be out maybe once this airs uh, from fantasy, um, and uh, I am starting to work on the positions. And so this is like basically you are going to watch me do my work. This is this is this is me getting ready for draft season in real time, and I All always right. appreciate uh, your help in preparing for the season. Let's let's go through it. Let's start with the outfielders. We're gonna do this uh, kind of the same way we did last year for the outfield. Our first outfield preview, I think, got us through about pick seventy five, pick one hundred. Usually, that's about as much time as you can go uh, to fill an episode with outfielders because there's so many talented players in this group. We're gonna look at the first rounders. As we begin, so if you're looking at a early January ADP report from the NFBC, you'll see Ronald Acuna Jr. at the very top of the outfield list. He has been a first overall pick in some drafts. I took him first overall in the draft Champions League that I did a couple of weeks ago. But you have Acuna, Julio Rodriguez, and Aaron Judge all within the top five overall. And then Tucker and Soto rounding out the top five at the position before Mookie Betts and Jordan Alvarez. Just outside the top 10 overall, but pretty clearly first-rounders. So seven first-round outfielders. I know there's been a lot of talk about how this position falls off. We'll get into that as we move further down the board at this position. But across the board, like I don't really see a flaw in any of these guys. I know Soto's coming off of a down year. That being said, his projections going into last season were Mike Trout-esque in terms of average and OBP and power for a player his age. So I think it's reasonable to see a bounce back there. But 
Fun question up top. If you had the first pick, are you actually passing on Judge for one of Acuna or Rodriguez? I was just uh, quickly doing the math. Rob Arthur has a piece um, on baseball prospectus in which he tries to project injury days missed for position players. I ran that for Aaron Judge, and I found a four, five, five games. It says it'll, he'll miss five games this year. And uh, that sounds a little ridiculous, but that's what he did last year. And the year before, he was very healthy, too, uh, 148 out of 162. So um, I wonder if injury concerns, even though they might be real in the long term, in the short term are uh, not so important. Um, However, on the other side, I do not believe that Aaron Judge will steal double-digit bases again. I think that was a function of a career season and a season in which he had bet on himself contract-wise and just trying to show every facet of his game at the very top of his game. Uh, so I I kind of feel like he's going to step back off of that now. He's got the long-term deal. Uh, I think you're going to see steps back in the power department as well. Um, and so, you know, I like him a lot, but... I think Acuna is my number one. Yeah, that's how I'm playing it right now, too. I've actually got uh, Acuna one, Julio Rodriguez two, Aaron Judge three. It is splitting hairs. If you're sitting there listening and saying, I don't care, I'll get my stolen bases somewhere else. Give me the guy that was unstoppable, the guy that hit 62 home runs last year. I don't think you're making any sort of tactical error because when you think about your draft strategy and how you build a team, you're thinking about what else you'll get later on with each pick. And you can sort of map that out for the first, at least five or six rounds, roughly, based on what people tend to do. So no problem there if you want to go with Judge. But I think I think your reasoning is sound. I think a guy that just got the big contract is less likely to run when that's not the bread and butter of his game, right? I wouldn't have that concern for Trey Turner because part of what makes Trey Turner as good as he is is running as often as he does. With Judge, it was almost more of a bonus sort of thing that he offered on top of the ridiculous power and run production. Yeah, with Ronald Acuna Jr., what we've seen is that he's provided us a baseline of almost 2,000 plate appearances before last year. I mean, something like 1,800 plate appearances before last year, in which he swung at fewer pitches outside of the zone, didn't hit as many ground balls, barreled the ball more often than he did last year. Um, And, uh, you know, if you regress what he did last year towards that you see the power come back right you know what i'm saying like he hadn't he had the the highest ground ball rate of his career last year he had the lowest barrel rate of his career last year he had the worst chase rate of his career last year and you could point to all those things and say something negative but i prefer to say something positive because he's 25 uh, and those things are all going to regress in the right direction if his previous career is a guide and when those things uh, regress, another piece of information that we have that says that, you know, he was relatively healthy last year and that this isn't like, oh, the ACL is going to hurt in the rest of his career. He hit the ball 116.6 miles an hour last year. So in terms of a singular event, he could show the raw power that he had before. So what I'm saying is next year, the, you know, the approach is going to be calmer. He's not going to hit as many ground balls. And uh, the power will come back. I'm predicting a 280-30-30 season from him at least. 
Um, and that's the kind of thing that is really easy to build around. I mean, there's no flaw in that. You know, there's no, oh, I'll get some stolen bases later, or I'll do this later, or I'll do that. Like, that's a superstar. <clears throat> With Rodriguez, I mean, I, I think that you could say a lot of the same things, except that I'm not sure we've had that, like, oh, now you've done it, and now the league is going to adjust back to you, and, and like, the, the third act, you know what I mean? Julio Rodriguez came in first, and he didn't have that much power, and he was kind of... um you know, a little bit tentative at the plate. And then he sort of felt, you know, felt more comfortable and you saw his power really take off in the second half. Um, I'm wondering if uh, pitchers are going to make him chase a little bit more. His chase rate is not amazing. If they're going to um, play with his aggressiveness and if there's another sort of third or fourth adjustment that uh, Julio Rodriguez will have to make and what that'll look like in real time. Uh, but if there are going to be two 30-30 seasons this season in, in baseball, they're going to come from Julio Rodriguez and Ronald Acuna Jr. Yeah, I think there's a lot of profile similarities between Acuna and Rodriguez and what they're likely to bring this season and for the next several seasons, really. I think the thing that made Acuna edge out the other two for me was that even coming off the ACL, the stolen bases were there last year for Ronald Acuna. I mean, he had 29 steals. And I thought that would maybe be the last thing that came back for him. But I think it is always important with a leg injury, make sure that a hitter's base is right, that his power is back. You mentioned the max EVs and some of the things that we're looking for there. It kind of seems like it's all going to fall back into place. And I always think when you come off a major injury, the first normal offseason you have to put in all the work that you want to get better as opposed to simply get healthy that makes a pretty big difference. So that that's where my confidence comes from. Like that 30-30 season. I think it's right there for him. And and if you want to like nitpick, uh, pick the nits with Julio Rodriguez, 21 steals in the first half against five caught stealings, four in the second half. So as he becomes more of a power hitter, you know, will, you know, what is, what is that going to look like uh, for his steals? Maybe he's a 30-20 guy, which is totally fine. Um, but, um, you know, I I would guess Ronald Acuna Jr. steals more bases than Julio Rodriguez next year. Yeah, I'd be on that as well, even though Rodriguez is just a couple of years younger. Kyle Tucker, any case for him to leap into this group, or do you think he's sort of correctly positioned as more of the next five overall, that, that guy that goes uh, fourth among outfielders right now, and a little ahead of Juan Soto, a little ahead of Betts, a little ahead of Alvarez? I think the new rules could be super applicable to him. Um, and and um, let me lump Juan Soto in, into this. Juan Soto and Kyle Tucker were among the lead leaders in hits that would have been added the way that I looked at it um, with the new shift rules. And part of that is because both Kyle Tucker and Juan Soto pull the ball along the line a lot, but they also hit the ball up the middle. And that's going to make defenders choose where to play their second baseman. They can no longer play basically two second basemen on the right side. So they're going to have to either choose to have the second baseman play tight against the line and deep or up the middle. Uh, And that means more hits for Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker has always had the 
sort of plate skills, contact skills, power, speed to be like a 330 type hitter, right? Like that's that sometimes when I look I'm like sort of surprised. You know, maybe he hits too many fly balls to to uh to to have that many that big good of a, a batting average, but you never know, right? Like he's projected for 280 with a little bit of luck that's 29300 and with the new rules maybe it's 315 320. So, you know, Kyle Tucker may have the best batting average of the the two guys we talked about. His strikeout rate is 10 percentage points lower than Julio Rodriguez and and was last year and like eight lower than uh where Ronald Acuña Jr. was last year. So he's going to put a lot more balls into play. Uh, he might have the best plate approach out of uh, those these three players. He stole 25 bases last year. He's a lefty that's going to you know hit right into those new shift rules. So I don't know that I'm put. I'm not. I'm not pushing Kyle Tucker number one. I mean, we just we're, we've been talking about the the three best players. But if you're now talking about like where do I want to draft or auction? Do I maybe? spend a few bucks less and get Tal Tucker instead of Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, I don't know. What are those two dollars worth? You know, what if, you know, Kyle Tucker has a better season than Ronald Acuna Jr.? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. There's, you know, uh, I would, uh, I would be happy with Kyle Tucker. And if I was thinking about KDS and I thought, you know, KDS is like where I pick in the draft. Some, in some leagues you can sort of, t- you can sort of pick where you're going to pick in the draft. Um, and, uh, if I thought that picking fifth or sixth would do me a lot better coming back and I would get Kyle Tucker instead of Ronald Acuna Jr., I might do it. Yeah. The gap between those two players is small, whereas you might find there's more of a drop-off in the later part of round two heading into that two, three turn. I think that's all very sound. We've talked a little bit about on the show about what we thought the second round was shaping up to be. It might be a little bit of a, a poop show. (laughs) it's it's just a lot of players that we're not used to seeing in that range that's all it is there's some risers in the player pool and we we like having that longer track record you know multiple seasons where players performed really well we're gonna get to some of those guys in just a few minutes Uh, i think it's funny that the juan soto down year was still 45 percent better than league average that Mm. that just gives you an idea of the floor and the category where he lagged the most last season RBIs, 62 RBIs, in part because he spent the first half and change in D.C. on a bad Nats mm-hmm. team, and now he's going to be on a loaded San Diego team for a full season. So those counting stats should come back up. I think the average comes the back up, too. batting average comes back up, yeah. That was the other place he really lagged hard. Yep. I mean, the league as a whole was down on average, so 242 last year didn't sting as much as it might have stung in previous years, but I think he comes back at least to the 270 range, and... Maybe even a little higher than that. I mean, this he's a special player. I think there's a there's a strong case, depending on how you like to play, for wanting to be in the kind of t- pick 10 to 12 range overall in the first round because Soto might just be sitting right there and you could go Soto and possibly get an ace pitcher coming back through in round two if you want to play it that way. And that's a fantastic foundation as well. You know, one thing that, that it just sticks out to me with Soto, and I don't know how to read it, is uh, the defensive stats just were really terrible for him, and, and they're kind of cro- across the board. And I know that we don't play with defensive stats in most leagues, um, 
but it is something to think about and you know you look about you look at his sprint speed it was the worst of his career the worst year over year change of his career he went from the 52nd percentile to the 33rd percentile in sprint speed there was a fitness aspect to this but there you know at 23 that's kind of an early moment to be losing that much sprint speed and then on, on top of that there has to be a little bit of a motivation aspect. I mean, we were sort of dancing around a little bit with the, you know, he's on the nationals. He didn't have anybody to drive in that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, we saw Bryce Harper kind of do things where like in his contract year or, you know, with the, with the bad team and in his contract year, he kind of stopped diving for balls and his defensive stats changed. So, you know, I do wonder if, um, some of that was momentary. So I would love to see him. I, I don't know if we'll get sprint speeds out of uh, spring training facilities, but I would love to see some of those and see if he'd spent some of the offseason uh, getting right physically. I mean, there has to be some sort of physical aspect to that. He just went from a decent defender to one of the worst in baseball last year. Yeah, pretty strange. I mean, I... I wondered if he was hiding an injury, too. That would also explain some of the offensive shortcomings that we saw along the way a year ago. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Back of the first round outfielders, Mookie Betts, Jordan Alvarez still firmly there. Mookie is the metronome guy that also runs maybe a little more batting average downside uh, than you'd expect for a player with his strikeout rate. Kind of like the Kyle Tucker problem you described, a little less speed at this point, I think was the the main takeaway I had. You're not really expecting 20 plus steals from Mookie, probably getting more like 10, uh, depending on where the power comes in. Things should be fine with him as a late first rounder. I think there are some questions as to uh, what level the Dodgers offense will reach this year. Losing Trey Turner does hurt them quite a bit, but we'll see if anyone else can step up and, and possibly keep that offense flying at the, the level we've seen recently. Uh, if we're, you know, the thing about Mookie is, I, I, you know, especially with sitting right there against Jordan Alvarez, I'm going to have to, you have to kind of recalibrate how you think about Mookie Betts, I think, a little bit. I, I think that we, there's still a little bit of like, oh, he steals bases, you know? Um, and I just don't know where that line will be. He steals bases or he doesn't steal bases in, in, uh, this new season with the new rules. Um, he's not as fast as he used to be. He's as fast as Mark Canna. Um, he's as fast as Adam Duvall. Um, he's, uh, just a tiny bit faster than Colton Wong and Max Muncy was faster than him last year. Um, you know, so That's surprising. Jock Peterson was faster than him last year. 
So uh, he's not as fast as he used to be. He uh, is a little bit of an outlier in terms of where he sits sprint speed wise. He has the most de- he had the most steals out of most steal attempts out of anybody in in that range. Colton Wong was next. Um, you know he you know Freddie Freeman uh, was only uh, 0.02 uh, seconds slower than him. So um, interesting thing. If I think I'm only going to get ten stolen bases from Mookie Betts, maybe I take Jordan Alvarez. This is where if you're playing in an auction setting and you can go get the players you want in your foundation, you know, I've, I'm tempted to get two guys from the back of this group, some combination of, of Soto, Betts, and Alvarez, because you're probably looking at low 30s for your dollar figure to pay for these guys as opposed to 40 plus, which I think is what it's going to take in some rooms to get it to the top of the board with Judge and Acuna and Julio Rodriguez. I think Betts does everything well enough where I still I still see him as a first rounder in snakes too. I could see myself drafting him if I had the, the last pick in the round. I'm gonna go bets in a pitcher and I'd be happy with that. If they're both there, both bets and Alvarez are there, I think I'm taking Alvarez. I see a lot of the same underlying traits in Jordan Alvarez's profile as a hitter that we see in Aaron Judge's profile. And that to me points to a level of power over the course of a season that could be as good as what we saw from Judge. Like, if there's anyone in this group capable of pushing Aaron Judge another 60 home run type season, yeah, I think Alvarez. it's Jordan Alvarez. Yeah, yeah. Power to all fields. Just a great approach at the at the plate. Uh, yeah, he's he's a, a great source of power. And you know, he's only 25 years old. I don't know that we've seen his, the best season out of him yet. Uh, and he just seems to keep getting better, chase less, barrel more, hit the ball harder, make more contact. I mean, yeah, I think we could see a career season out of Jordan Alvarez, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to bring a tear to my eye. One other thing I, I don't like after Jordan Alvarez is a bit of a shelf for me. Um, you know... I, the projections are strong for Mike Trout, Dalton Varsho, Luis Robert, Michael Harris II, Randy Rosarina, Cedric Mullins. You know, those guys all project to be more than $22 and less than $28. So, you know, by projections, you say, I don't see a shelf. I just see more question marks with this group than I do in the first group. And that's why, you know, there's a difference between the first rounders and the second rounders. But I don't know that I need to get anyone out of the second group. I would let any of these guys fall, and whoever falls, I'll take. There's a decent amount of speed, uh, so I will probably, I would love to get one of my, my second outfielder be, you know, if I got Mullins as my second outfielder, I wouldn't I wouldn't be that upset that I missed Mike Trout injury questions. You know, Dalton Varsho, I don't know that there's a lot of questions, but I know that his value is pumped up very much in the auction calculator by the $21 that he gets from being a catcher. So, you know, if he's just an outfielder for you, he doesn't belong in this conversation. Uh, Luis Robert, you know, his plate approach leaves me cold. Michael Harris II chases balls at an extreme rate. It got a little better over the course of the season, but he really chases them. Randy Rosarena is the streakiest player in baseball. <laughs> He's definitely a contender for the award now. Oh my God. 
even last year, do you, like, isn't it wild what he ended up with? Like, I remember last year being like, okay, I, I, this is it. I am done. I can't do the Randy Rosa th- Reina thing anymore. I'm looking up at the end of the season, 263-20-32. With a lower strikeout rate. He got better in a key area. <laughs> yeah, it's just wild. He stole more bases yeah. and he struck out less. Usually, we'd be really excited about that. I think what's fascinating about the round two and round three outfielders, there is very little that separates them. And that's part of why drafting outfielders in round two is not generally something I think I'll end up doing. I'm in on Trout, though, for, for what it's worth. I, I think he showed us late last year that he had a system that enabled him to have all of his power. Like the concern I have with a back injury is that a player is going to either miss a lot of time or if they play, they're not going to hit the ball as hard. They're not going to be able to, in Trout's case, be a 40 home run threat. He answered the, the skill question relative to the injury. And I remember we got an email from a physician that listened to the show kind of explaining the outcomes and the different ways this could play out. And I think based on Trout coming back and being heavily used in a meaningless second half once he came off the IL and playing as well as he did, that bodes very well for his chances of holding up. And you're not expecting 155 games, you're expecting 140. But 140 games from Mike Trout, even at this stage of his career, should be excellent. And you're probably talking about a guy that won't run all that much, so it's a little bit like the Jordan Alvarez expectations with heightened injury risk because of age. Alvarez, I think, is doing a good job of putting the concerns about his knees further into the past. I think that's why he's a first-rounder now. But I do think I'm comfortable with Trout where he's going right now, right around pick 20 overall, so kind of an early second-rounder. I don't think he's moving up into the first round. I think more likely we'll see a couple starting pitchers go up, and a few of the very late first-rounders are going to come down on the hitting side. So there's a chance that Trout even falls off that spot. But the player that I think is really tough, I mean, I, I like a Rosa Reina as a fun player to think about if you're trying to make up the ground for some speed in round three, Michael Harris at the 2-3 turn. We don't see a lot of players make the leap from double A to the big leagues. We don't see a lot of those players have the level of success that Michael Harris had last season. And I think it was kind of the perfect situation, right? Atlanta was a loaded team. They could bring Harris up if he played good defense in center field. That was probably all they actually needed to get from him. Anything he brought with the bat was a bonus. And he was much better than anyone would have expected for a player with so little experience in the upper levels of the minor leagues. The concern I guess I've had the entire time, we've talked about this back in the late fall, the walk rates we saw in the minor leagues weren't there in his first run against big league pitching. The K rate jumped a bit, but those things are to be expected without that experience at AA and AAA. With 43 games at AA and no time at AAA, that shouldn't be surprising. If you focus on what he does, he's got power. He's an efficient base stealer. I don't think he's going to come out of the lineup unless he goes into just an absolutely miserable slump. How much do we worry about the things he doesn't do well, the O-swing percentage being high, versus how much do we get on board based on all the things he already does at an exceptional level? Because I think... The good outweighs the bad so far with Harris, and I'm finding I don't want to buy in at the end of round two because there's just not quite enough track record there. Like I'm accepting possibly being wrong about a 25-25 guy because there could be some growing pains in year two. I love him long term. I think he's a fantastic player, but I am just not quite there right now for 2023. So maybe you can talk me into Michael Harris. 
Well, one thing I like to do is sometimes pr- bring up the day-to-day rolling graphs that they have on Fangraphs. Uh, you can just go to graphs on the player on the player's page, and then you can say that to buy game. Uh, I do 15 game rolling. Uh, just gives me a sense of like you know the adjustments they made, the the types of stuff I was talking about um, with uh, Julio R- Rodriguez. You can see the power go up and down you can see you know his aggressiveness his swing rates so i just like to see like you know how many adjustments did this player make over the course of his short sample michael harris the second was started off with a chase rate near 50 percent uh which is uh like bottom of the league type stuff like bottom five in the league by the end of the season, he had uh, reined that in, and uh, he was rolling along at about 38%, um, you know, near the end of the season. That's uh, not great, but it's, it's, it's better. It's not, you know, oh my God, this is a real problem kind of thing. Um, his strikeout rate was near 30% uh, in the middle of the season. Um, he, he finished where he started around 20%, so I do think he has the ability to make contact. His walk rate was fairly steady. I mean, he had a couple blips where he was walking a little bit more, but it basically was a straight line. So I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think that there's definitely going to be that many more walks. I don't know. Without those walks, I don't know that he's necessarily going to hit first or second for them, you know? So that reduces a little bit the runs and the RBI and the uh, the plate appearances. Um with that kind of approach, uh, will the power necessarily increase? Uh, he's projected to actually regress power-wise. The projections uh, for 280 average and 22 homers and 20 uh, stolen bases, those are great. And if I can pay for that, then I'll do it. Because he obviously has upside beyond that. No matter what I'm saying, if it sounds negative to you, he's 21 years old. He obviously has upside behind above 280, 22, 20. He just came up and hit 297, 19, 20 in 441 plate appearances. But I don't want to pay for that upside. Like, I don't want to pay for something that I need to get. You know what I mean? So if I can get him, you know, in the auction where it says $24, if I get him, um, I guess that would be uh, end of the second round, beginning of third, uh, once you start adding pitchers. Uh, then I'll then I I guess I'll do it. Yeah. Mm. So this almost sounds like if you have the freedom to build the team to your liking, you're in. But if you're choosing based on a snake scenario, you might not be in. It depends a little bit on what I got, what I want in the first. But let's say let's say like I don't love starting two outfielders, like in a snake. Right? It's kind of weird. You, you kind of feel like you're behind. And outfielders are one of those things that just seem to be there for you at the end of a draft. You know, there's, there seem to be lots of outfielders. There are fourth outfielders that play a lot. So there's like, there's still supply at the end of the draft. I hate to have too many outfielders. In, but let's say I did it. In, in this case, uh, the auction calculator could, uh, could punch out, um, you know, a Juan Soto, Michael Harris, the second beginning of the season, beginning of the draft. Why would why would I say no to that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think the thing I'm looking at too with Harris is his depending on how the Braves want to build this lineup, his biggest competition for a spot near the top, probably the two spot. I think they would go something like, you know, Acuña, Harris cuz he's a lefty, and then Riley and then kind of 
go through the lineup that way. Ozzy Albies is probably the other guy that could jump up and possibly take that spot. And I believe Albies is better against lefties. So maybe it's Harris's job against right-handed starters, which is more often, and Albies flips spots with Harris against lefties. They've done that, that, that before, too. Way. They have moved mm-hmm. Albies up and down in the lineup, depending on the handedness of the opposing starter. So um, it's one of those things where it seems crazy that he'd be that that he'd be up there that quickly. It seems like, oh, fade the hype or whatever. But I don't see why a 276, 22, 20 season, he couldn't do that. And I don't see, and he has to obviously have upside beyond that. And if you're paying for 276, 22, 20, and it's in the second round, then you could get a first rounder. I don't, I want to say fade him because it's, you know, there are aspects of his, of his profile I don't like, the chase rate and so on. But that's baked into the projection for the most part. That's why he's a 276 average projection instead of the 290, something like the 297 he had, you know? But uh, it's baked in. So I also love the idea of like maybe getting Harris if I got, uh, you know, a power only guy in the first that, you know, um, you know, I feel like Harris. Who's going to steal the most bases between Harris or Rosarena and Mullins? <laughs> Throw Robert in there too. I don't know if there's a clear, clear and obvious winner out of that group for me. Probably. Probably Mullins of the group because the other guys all I feel like I have more confidence in their power than I have in Mullins's power. Mm. And when you hit more homers, you generally will steal slightly fewer bases. But we're splitting hairs. They're all they're all going to project very favorably in the stolen base category. Yeah, um, I mean, uh, the auction calculator says uh, Mullins is twenty two and Harris is twenty four dollars. So. Um, if you wanted steals a little bit more, I guess you could go with Mullins over Harris. But I, f- I have a feeling that in drafts, Harris is going to go over Mullins. Yeah, and I think what you're looking at, if you're choosing an outfielder where Harris is currently going, it's more likely a would-you-rather between Harris and a Rosarena. Do you want the guy that's done it for two full seasons, or do you want the guy that is younger and just did it for one and could get a lot better? Um, and I think I, I've mentioned this before. I think Harris's approach with the, the O-swing percentage, it's not unlike Bo Bichette. A guy that can just swing at a lot of pitches outside the zone and actually still put up a good batting average because he does so many things. Really it is well. something that matters long term. Like I firmly believe that the numbers bear that out. But how much does it matter in the short term is something you have to think about because you know he's so young. Uh, he's not going to age his way out of making contact with pitches out of the zone. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. it's more a question of when you're the team signing someone to a 10-year deal do you sign Javier Baez or do you sign Carlos Correa or do you sign you know th- that's when you start looking at how often they swing pitches outside the zone absolutely if you're as obsessed with basketball as I am then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs hey guys this is JJ Redick Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. 
or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's take a look at this next cluster of outfielders, though. Once you get past Harris and Rosa Reina, and I, I see Dalton Varsho just as a catcher because he's so much more valuable there. I get it. You can play him in the outfield. We'll save him for the catcher preview. Cedric Mullins relative to Rosa Reina and Harris does come at a bit of a discount right around pick 50. So you've got Mullins, Luis Robert, Kyle Schwarber coming off the pretty amazing season he just had in 2022. Adelis Garcia, and Corbin Carroll. And those guys go within a span of about 20 picks of each other. Mostly guys who steal a lot of bases. And even in the case of Schwarber, someone who steals a few. This is sort of a who do you really believe in kind of question. I mean, I think Mullins, if he just repeats what he did in 2022, no problem with where he's going right now. Robert just has to stay healthy. What are we going to get from him over 140, 145 games if he actually could stay on the field? Yeah, with a 614 plate appearance projection, he's actually projected you know a couple of dollars short of Mike Trout. So if you believe that he can stay healthy, then you want to take him. Um, and that's another weird one where the, the K rate came down just a little bit from where it was the previous year. The O-swing percentage got worse. Yeah. Robert had a 48.3% O-swing percentage. And his barrel rate actually came down last year too. But injuries can cause that. Hard, yeah, hard to tell with him just because... like. Just when is he? When do you feel like he's been fully healthy? What I really do like is that the K rate has stayed low. It's a little bit weird because he forsook the patience to just sort of swing away, and that might not be great for him long term. But in the short term, it means more balls in play, higher chance of a better batting average. Um, I I really struggle with guys like this because. It's a little bit like the Buxton thing where you're just like, I know that somebody one year is going to pay not that much for him and get the MVP type season. (laughs) Is it going to be me? How many times am I going to throw myself at that wall? What I would rather do, given this collection of players, is um, push, uh, wait to the third round, which might cost me Michael Harris a second, but will give me a choice between uh, Mullins and Arozarena and take one of those two in the third and then probably piece out of this next group because in this next group you have even more questions than the questions I was raising about the last group. I mean, you've got Robert, you've got um, Springer has, uh, he's coming off surgeries. Eloy Menez was hurt. Uh, Kyle, you know, Kyle Schwarber, 
he's solid, but uh, and, I, and I did project him to add a, a bunch of stolen bases and and uh, and and some batting average, but it seems a little aggressive to take someone there that has had that batting average in the past. Um, you know, in terms of projections, who else is there? Starling Marte is in this group. Um, Stephen Kwan. I just feel like uh, I want to take whoever falls out of this group. I don't want to target anybody in this group. Yeah, Schwarber's a really tough player to draft in the pick 60 range for me. I know the, the power has always been real, and he's coming off a career-best barrel rate. To see him go 10 for 11 as a base stealer is just really encouraging because 10 steals are actually pretty valuable. As you mentioned, we've seen low-end averages before, so even with the rule changes, where do you reasonably, reasonably set your batting average expectation for Schwarber? 240? 245? Projections are at 225 from Steamer. I think that's a tad low. But even a 240 or 245 is still, if the league's all going to do better with the new shift rules, a 240 or 245 is still lagging a little bit in that category. I'm not convinced I trust the steals to be there quite at that level. It could be 4 or 5 instead of 10. And we probably just saw the best home run season of Kyle Schwarber's career. He could dip in home runs, still be very good. But this just looks like a profile that there's a few things going in the right direction, and I still... I can't get on board at the heavily inflated price uh, because I think a lot of the other guys that go behind him, we haven't necessarily seen their best season yet. We've probably seen Adelis Garcia's best season, but I like there's a little more categorical balance there. I don't think the Rangers have enough to push him out of his role, so I think he's pretty steady at this point. I was a little bit afraid of him last year because I thought the the profile had too much risk in it. Uh, but then you got Corbin Carroll and you've got Eloy Jimenez, who you mentioned earlier, both of those guys, Carroll has barely been in the big league, so of course his best days are probably in front of him. Like I see so much ceiling in both of those players, and at least in the case of Eloy, we've seen when he's healthy that he can handle big league pitching. There's no question about how talented he is as a hitter. It's more of a durability problem, and I think back about the injury he suffered in spring training, I think that was two years ago now, the one where he was making the catch at the outfield wall, hurt his pec, that was a really fluky, weird injury. I think we've hit the point now with Eloy Jimenez where the White Sox see him as a clear DH. I think he is going to DH almost all the time, and that reduces the injury risk. And I think he's going to move up a little bit as we move further into draft season. But even if he moves up to pick 75, I think Eloy is underrated. I think he's the kind of guy that could be going in the first two rounds of drafts in 2024. I think he has that type of ceiling as a hitter. Well, your original question was about Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> uh, I I found that I would add eight to ten hits. If you add eight to ten hits to what he did last year, we'd have hit two thirty two instead of two eighteen. So I think that's a sort of a modest uptick, right? Like I wouldn't be looking at him and being like, "Oh, you know, I can pick him now. He's going to hit two sixty or two seventy or whatever." <laughs> like I think you know a two twenty five projection, even if that doesn't bake in the the rules changes, uh, I wouldn't change much beyond a two thirty five projection. You know, um, you know, that said, he still he still profiles pretty well and, you know, projected for twenty nineteen dollar player. So if you add those hits in, uh, you could move him to just short of George Springer and be basically a, a top 15, top 20 type uh, type outfielder. So uh, it's just a question of can you stomach that that batting average for Eloy? Uh, I love the the skills in terms of you know he doesn't he chases a little bit but he doesn't chase as bad as as Luis Robert. Uh, you know 
he does not have the steals. I wonder if uh, playing him at DH more this year will keep him healthy. You know, we just haven't seen in the last three seasons or last two seasons, he's combined to do like two thirds of a season. So if he could get back to where he was in 2019, where he got 500 plate appearances, 31 homers, 267 average. I love him. Uh, and, you know, where is he Where is he going here? Let me try and find him. He's going more like pick 90 right now. Yeah, I think I he's like going to close the gap. I think we're going to get to a point in March where Kyle Schwarber versus Eloy is the question. You're like, oh, that's, this is a little harder. We've got the guy that's coming off of the career best year, and we got the guy that keeps showing us signs that the, the big breakout could be coming. And I think if, if you're going to say the prices are even, I might regret this, but I would actually rather take Eloy Jimenez than Kyle Schwarber for 2023. And right now I'm getting a 40, 30 to 40 pick discount. I will take that all day. If, if Eloy is my second outfielder, if I took one of the guys in the first round, or maybe I don't even have one yet, if Eloy is my first outfielder and then I'm going to start grabbing some other guys that we're going to get to probably on our next episode, that can work. You know, everybody's worried about outfield and maybe chasing some players that you're unsure of. Fine. Find the guys that you like and load up from the I'm tier where you're comfortable. Quite as aggressive given his really extensive injury history, but he's at 90 and I'm just going to move up uh, in ADP at NFBC to uh, to see who I take over, who I take him over. I take him over George Springer at 85. I take him over Starling Marte at 77. I take him over Teoscar Hernandez at 75. Uh, I think I take him over Corbin Carroll at 68. Um, there's a question of steals and how that how my team looks. I take him over Adolis Garcia at 62. So uh, I'm getting pretty close. Kyle Schwarber's at 58. Um, I don't. I would take Kyle Schwarber over him. I think, uh, but you know, there's also do I think my batting average is good and do I want to put a 235 batting average on my team that early in the draft? Um, so that's that. Those are things to to consider. But yeah, given the discount, I would. Uh, I'm into it. I love. I love him at 90 where he is right now. We had a question come in about outfielders from Eric Dan Riper. Uh, Eric wants to know. Corbin Carroll had a 5.5% barrel rate last season in just 32 games, so a very brief time with the Diamondbacks. How much does that shape your expectations for his power output, at least in the short term, when projections are pointing to a guy that should be a 2020 player so long as the playing time holds for him in his first full season with the Diamondbacks? You know, across the board, it, they're not the most amazing uh, bad ball stats. He's got a uh, 5.5% barrel rate, uh, a 107.5 max EV. 108 is the bar you really want to clear. Uh, 33% hard hit rate. Uh, you know, his X slugging was 150 points slower than his actual slugging. He doesn't hit in a, he doesn't hit in a hitter's park. Um, so... You know, there is there is some question about his power. I think uh, 73 batted ball events is not a huge sample, but with barrel rate, traditionally you think that you've got some signal there after 50 batted ball events. So I, I think that's that's why the projections are actually, they step back, right? 18 to 20 homers by Steamer. That's still good for as young as he is, though. And and I I just want to pay for that. I don't want to pay. I, I feel like where he's going you're paying for beyond that. Right. This is not unlike the problem from last draft season with Bobby Witt Jr., where it was like the projection was good, 
and expectations, if they were reasonable, would have kept him a couple rounds later, but he settled in at a spot where he just couldn't quite do it. Worked out, but it doesn't always work out with players like this in this range. The difference is that this year we actually have some batted ball stats to go on, some major league batted ball stats, and they're sort of meh, you know? So that's I think that has actually kept his he's his average draft. We'll see if it, it climbs. But his average draft position is a little bit lower than where Witt was last year. So if you're choosing, maybe and you can, the, the option here is you could also you know pass on both. But Adelis Garcia versus Corbin Carroll is a bit of a toss up in the outfield. Oh in gosh, dude! I just, the K rate got better for Garcia last uh, year. Stole more bases. I didn't believe right, in it I'm at all because his, there was I'll put his there was a strong. Up. There was a strong second half fade in 2021. That was a huge part of why I wasn't in on Garcia last year. I looked at him and I just said, that's a scary also, profile anyway. Poor plate approach. Just, yeah, it's a scary profile. It's how can he, how can he have that much power and only walk five to 6% of the time? You'd think that pitchers would be afraid of him. He he's swings just, at a lot of pitches outside the exactly, zone. I think yeah. it's more. I'm, he, he's, no, he's just in attack mode. That's all. That's yeah. fine. Like you, that can be your approach. There's plenty of other guys that have the same approach that that find a way to make it work. But the problem here, we're, we've been talking about other young guys that have this yes, approach. He's 29. Garcia's 30. He's 30 <laughs> yeah, in spring training. Yeah. He turns 30 in March. So this is when it actually starts to matter that you rate you chase pitches outside the zone. <laughs> Right, and I'm, I'm wondering if for another year, if Adelis Garcia ends up being a player that you can defeat me with by taking him at his ADP. His oh, uh, his contact on pitches outside the zone was 55% in 21. It was 59% last year. That is the, that is the thing that should age badly. So if that drops down to 55 or goes to 50%, uh, then we're talking about a 33% strikeout rate, 34% strikeout rate. If we're talking about a 34% strikeout rate and a 6% walk rate, then, you know, you're getting into some of those Paul DeYoung character times when, like, you know, it was untenable. You know, puts a lot of pressure on his defense and his power. Um, I'm taking Corbin Carroll. Okay. Well, I think I'm taking Corbin Carroll, too. It's the type of player that I'd rather have. But I'd probably break my own game and say, yeah, let me just do something else. Let me just leave the outfield <laughs> position because that's an option. You don't, you don't have to take an outfielder here, but that's the type of toss-up people might be thinking about. Uh, I don't understand why Teoscar Hernandez is going at pick 75. You know, Going into Seattle, supporting cast won't be quite as good as what he had in Toronto, just in terms of the, the counting stats. I, I think this is another profile that I, I like this, this kind of hitter for a very short time. And as this player, these players age, they get to the wrong side of 30, I'd rather be a year too early on walking away than a year too late. And it's similar to Garcia, 28.4% K rate, 6.4% walk rate, an aggressive hitter that does a lot of damage. The stolen bases got cut in half last season, so you're not really looking for more than a handful of bags. What do you make of Teoscar Hernandez? Because we did see a really good season in the batting average category to go with the power and speed in 2021, and the average wasn't bad in the short and 2020 season. But I just don't think I can buy in at that level, and the projections seem to be skewing that way as well. Yeah, he's got a, a, a whiff of the Adolis Garcia about him, but a few key differences. I mean, where Adolis Garcia swings at... Uh, what is it, like 39% of the pitches he sees outside of the zone? Um, it's more like mid-30s, 33.6% last 40, year. It's kind of like 40.3% last year, Adolis mm-hmm. Garcia. 
Well, yeah, Adolis Garcia is a lot higher. And then, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, like Teoscar Hernandez is like halfway between Adolis Garcia and Kyle Schwarber for O-swing percentage. Yeah. So, yeah, 33%. That's about league average. So, you know, Teoscar's not disciplined. Uh, he is also in attack mode. Uh, but he also has a lot longer track record of, of making it work this way. Uh, he's three straight years of uh, basically 30% better than league average. Um, he's, he's not, he's not a zero on the stolen bases. Uh, but it does, it does remind me a little bit of the Chris Davis to the K where, you know, it really seemed to be working out right hander with power DH. Sure. But you know, was, you know, kind of metronomy. Uh, and then he, you know, Chris Davis fell off pretty hard. Um, let me see what year. 35. Uh, he was in 2018. He was amazing. Um, and then 2019, he was, uh, had an 81 WRC plus and never, never was better than league average again. And then 2018, he was 31 years old. Actually, he was 30. So that's that's just a worry I have with Tasker. I don't think it's a profile that ages well, and he's thirty, and he's going from a neutral park to a bad one. Yeah, more challenging we, we environment. We just did for this with Jesse Winker, right? Yeah. So I, I wonder if we're just going to lose a little bit of production, kind of across the board from Teoscar, and he's going to end up being a player that you're hoping for twenty plus dollars worth of value, and you get twelve, and that's okay, but you're passing on guys that should get you that 20 in this range. So I think that's part of why I've been steering clear of him so far. Uh, Two older banged-up outfielders before we go. Starling Marte and George Springer both coming at a discount. Marte could still steal some bases. Springer, that part of his game, I think, has become a lot less reliable at this stage of his career. But do you think either or both of these guys are actually discounted enough to where you kind of want them on your team or going around pick 80? I'm interested in Marte. One thing that seems to be the case is that his injuries stem from being hit. Yep, the occupational hazard. And he's hit a fair amount. He gets hit a lot. Um, but I, I that uh, worries me a little bit less in this way. I think he can still steal bases. Like he's not. It's not like a hamstring thing, where you're just going to see the speed run disappear. With the new rules in place, could he steal 25 bases? Could he hit 15 homers and steal 25 bases next year? I think so. Projections say yes. Yeah. This is where if I had graphic skills for video, when I point up, it would just do a little yes above my finger. <laughs> I don't have those skills. It would take me a whole day to do that. It's not worth the, the time. Yeah. Even though we love everyone watching us on YouTube, adding little things like that is not quite uh, on the roadmap at the moment. Let me, let me, let me find him, though. Um, at 77, uh, you know, I could uh, take Eloy later, like we said. Um, I could take my man O'Neill Cruz. Right. Some of the other, this is again, this is where some of the other positions are more interesting. I think the, the Marte profile is starting Zach to scare Gallen. me too because the contact quality is not very good. So I think I'm looking at other positions in favor of him. I'm probably more likely to take Springer than Marte. If I'm yeah. going to take one of the two, even though I'm not, I'm not buying in for another 14 steals. 14 for 16 as a base stealer last year. I mean, it was four it's for five in 78 games the year before. Yeah, double steal, double digit steals back till 2015. 
Yeah, and there were some years, you know, 16 and 17 and 18 in Houston where he wasn't efficient as a base dealer. So that was a bit of a concern. But the bad ball quality is better for Springer. Right, and I think the dip in barrel rate last year pretty easily tracks with the injuries that he dealt with. Yeah. So I, I think with Springer, I'm still in at the discount. The key here, and this is something we'll talk about over the course of this series, is if you're going to take Springer, you, let's say let's say within your group of hitters, you can have three out of your 14 who have below average health grades. You definitely he counts as one of your three, no question at all, right? You have to be very careful once you build around a player like that, not to take on too much existing injury risk in the rest of your build. But I think the skills are still solid despite that barrel rate slide. Uh, from a year ago but we did it we got through about the first 20 or so outfielders and uh, we're going to keep trucking through this next cluster in our next episode probably a three-part series as we navigate the outfield if you have outfield specific questions always you can email them to us at rates and barrels at the athletic.com you can find Eno on twitter at Eno saris you can find me at derek van riper that's going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels come back soon for part two thanks for listening <laughs>